It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. Today we're going to talk about some of the good things that occur when you practice Kriya Yoga and when you decide to commit yourself to something like a spiritual path, a purposeful path, an intentional path. Um, I don't talk about these kinds of things that often, uh, primarily because I feel a little bit of a need to counteract uh, all the over-exaggerated promises that a lot of people make. But because of that, I don't feel that I might spend enough time talking about the usefulness of the spiritual path and the beauty and the grace that actually does occur when you begin practicing meditation, again, committing your life to a higher purpose or being more intentional about your life. Um, and again, primarily that's because uh, I've seen too many people get caught up in the fantasy. And then when the fantasy doesn't deliver, uh, they get frustrated or they lose their faith or they don't continue practicing meditation. So from my point of view, I think it's best to kind of get right in there and smash some of those false expectations so you know what you're doing, you know what you're getting into, and then you won't be bothered when you move forward. And as um, one very important person in my life says, uh, always under-promise and over-deliver. <laughs> so I would prefer to under-promise and over-deliver than to give you a lot of promises and then they don't pan out and then you lose your faith or you step away from the processes of spiritual growth. So today we're going to spend some time talking about uh, the good things that come by being on this path. And I've talked enough about the hard work that's involved, so we're just going to step away from that. Although none of this discounts or discredits the hard work and the real life expectations you need to have for yourself. But I do want to express that since I have personally been practicing Kriya Yoga, since I have been involved in the study of yoga and teaching of yoga and meditating regularly and doing my best to live an intentional, purposeful life, I do feel that things have gone quite a bit better. Um, that things have gone quite a bit better than they would have had I continued my life in the same direction, same trajectory that it could have been on. Again, I always have to be cautious about this because we can't go back in time and we can't see what, what would have been. We just have to imagine. Um, but I have found that life has had a sense of wholeness and a sense of understanding about it because of being engaged in these spiritual practices on the spirit and being on this spiritual path. 
even the things that have gone wrong or terribly wrong or the things that I could not even conceive of or believe or accept, there is still a level of understanding of how every aspect of this life does fit together um, in some way. So it's as if uh, the awareness really isn't fragmented, that by the practice of yoga, samadhi, the bringing together of awareness, that it has given some kind of understanding, appreciation for the wholeness of life flowing through. I remember Mr. Davis talking about his own life experience and how it seemed like um, through grace, through trust, through faith, that things tended to work out and in ways that he couldn't understand or couldn't even expect. You know, he had an idea of once he left Self-Realization Fellowship, he was given the understanding that he would get some worldly experience by joining the army, the medical corps, uh, that once he had his worldly experience, that he would set up a center, and he was thinking somewhere in Colorado, uh, likely become maybe a chiropractor so that he wouldn't need to be dependent on everyone else's resources. Uh, and he could have his vocation as a chiropractor and be a minister, a teacher, a Kriya yoga teacher of Self-Realization Fellowship. But after he went to the army and things didn't quite work out that way, um, he continued on his path, doing his best, trying to follow the guidance or following the guidance that was there. And while he didn't end up being a Self-Realization Fellowship uh, minister or teacher because of changes within the board and changes within uh, policy in that regard, and he didn't end up in the mountains of Colorado with a retreat center, he ended up in Georgia, in the mountains of Georgia, not as a chiropractor, but as a full-time Kriya Yoga teacher. And um, even the way that the Center for Spiritual Awareness came about, um, how he was invited to that property to, to teach. Eventually, he was requested or asked to be the spiritual director. Um, and then the individuals who brought the property together finally decided that wasn't for them. So they passed it on to Mr. Davis. Even many of the houses that are there on the grounds of Center for Spiritual Awareness, uh, a lot of them were donated. Someone wanted to move there, one of the houses, one of the, um, the geodesic domes, from what I remember, wanted to move there, had the kit shipped in, had it built and everything, and then decided, well, maybe not, but you can go ahead and keep it. So um, a lot of the experiences that Mr. Davis had in life, while it didn't necessarily go the way that he specifically visualized, because of grace, because of support, because of, um, for example, the title of his, his Yoga Sutras book, life surrendered in God, because of having a life surrendered in God, things moved in a direction that allowed him to serve his purpose in this world while waking up as fully and as clearly as possible. And oftentimes what that requires is the willingness to want to do that. And the intention to follow through while being adaptable. Because too often what we do, we think that this little body, this little mind, this little human mind, this little human body 
somehow can know and decide and control everything. On some level, many of us feel that way. We feel that way through uh, practicing certain techniques or by participating in prayer or positive thinking that we really can uh, control just exactly how things are going to go. And again, that can be very frustrating when you try to do it and you see it doesn't quite go the way you're thinking or what ends up happening is we get people who are just blind themselves to the fact that they're not getting the results that they, they, they want to see or endeavor to see. And they just keep remaining in this, this state of kind of fake faith where when things work out, they say, see, this was grace. This was good fortune. Or, and when things don't work out, oh, well, who knows? That was just a fluke. Maybe they make up excuses. Um, so we, we want to avoid that kind of trap. And that's why I want to encourage you to grow into the ability to plot a course, to have a direction, to trust that you are cooperating with a nurturing, supportive universe. And yes, there will be times when things don't go your way, so much so that you can't even imagine that you're in a supportive universe. But um, you never know. As long as you are able to hold that feeling that you are in a supportive, nurturing universe, and you hold the intention that you want to wake up and you want to be of greatest service to the world as possible, then what you'll find is life tends to provide opportunities that may or may not be exactly in line with the way you think it should go, but it will provide opportunities to give you those experiences, to give you that kind of realization. And we have to be... That is why we have to be alert and awake. That is why the term awake or being awake is so important uh, for us as, as yogis and, and participants on the spiritual path because you have to be awake to respond to the life that is happening around you. Um, I see this when playing chess with people. Sometimes when playing chess with people, I'm not that good. I'm very, very amateur, and most of the time, well, I'm average, I would suppose. Uh, but I, when I see certain people playing chess, it's like they've memorized certain moves, and they just keep trying that move and that pattern over and over again, hoping that eventually, by repeating that pattern over and over again, they're going to win. And that's not, at least in my experience, I'm not a professional, I don't spend a whole lot of time playing chess every now and then, but I've noticed that in order to really play chess, you have to be adaptable. You have to be able to know that where you're going, what you want to do, how you want to see things work out. But knowing that, that the, the person you're playing with is going to change some of those variables and you have to be adaptable and you have to move things around such that you can keep moving in that direction, keep flowing with it. And in order to do that, you have to be awake. You have to be paying attention. You have to say, oh, okay, well, they did this. So let's think about what we need to do to continue moving forward. You don't say, oh, darn it, I can't use my same old patterns over and over again, but I'm going to anyway because one day they're going to work. That's the way a lot of people function in life. They have a vision probably from early childhood or their late teens, and they imagine their life is going to go in that direction, and they're going to keep doing one thing after another to try to get it going in that exact same pattern and exact same direction. And so they're never open. They never open their heart and their mind to the infinite, as Mr. Davis would say, to to flow with the experience, to flow with the experience. 
because we are evolving, we are changing, we are growing. And so as we learn more, we can, we gain greater latitude or greater ability to see the bigger picture. And as we see the bigger picture, it's going to alter our viewpoint from say, uh, what, how we saw the bigger picture 10 or 15 years ago. And we have to grow into that new viewpoint and recognize that we might have to change our patterns or change our ideas or change our approach or resolve to let certain things go. But if we're able to remain alive in life with our practice, um, at the end, I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably 98% of you are going to feel like, yeah, okay, looking back, I see how it all came together. I see how my life was supported by grace. I see how the work that I did was helpful to, to allow that grace into my life. And you will look back and you will understand the meaning and wholeness of your life. The reason I say 98% is because more than likely there's 2% of you out there that are kind of confused and um, are going to have a real hard time getting through that and may or may not get through that. <laughs> I'm not going to say that's true for all of you, 2% of you, picking these numbers out of, out of the air, but looking around and seeing how human consciousness sometimes functions, I know that even people with the best intentions can be uh, confused or have an inability to grow and um, see greater opportunities. Just sometimes that happens in nature. <clears throat> but grace is available to you. I've thought about this multiple times as well whenever I've gone for walks or when I've gone for a bike ride. Whenever you're outside and, you know, the other day I was going for a bike ride and I was riding down the trail and I saw a praying mantis and it was right, I mean, my tires were small, but it was right in line with where my tires were going. No, not a praying mantis because I like praying mantises. You're not supposed to kill them anyway or anything, uh, but they also symbolize good luck. So I saw the praying mantis and I swerved and I thought to myself, I really hope that I missed them. I knew my front tire did, but you never know about how that back tire is going to uh, affect things. So I thought, well, I need to go back and see. So I turned around and the praying mantis was still sitting there. And I came back and he just looked up at me, backed up a little bit with his little praying mantis hands. And I thought, he should probably get off the trail because you're really hard to see. He didn't want to get off the trail. <laughs> Maybe it was his time or her time and she wanted to check out and I ruined it. Or uh, what happened was uh, she was just engaged in her patterns. And so when I took a little stick and tried to scoop her up and she's not sure what to do. And I, I moved her somewhere that she didn't want to be, which is way off on the trail into the, the bushes. So she wouldn't get run over. Uh, that was probably a confusing thing for this little praying mantis. I can remember um, going for a walk recently as well and walking, walking on the, the path. And um, we looked down and we saw a little white caterpillar. And my sister had just told a story about how she picked one up and it stung her. So we decided to get some leaves and try to scoop it off the road and move it. But of course, what happens when you take a leaf and you're trying to gently scoop up a caterpillar, get it on the leaf, and move it somewhere where it's not going to get squished or stepped on. It doesn't want to go. It immediately like brought its head down, hunkered down, grabbed onto the ground really tight as though, no, this is where I need to be. 
but it didn't need to be there because someone was going to step on it probably eventually. So we just gently, gently poked and prodded a little bit more, very gently until eventually it, it climbed up on the leaf enough that we could pick it up. And um, Kira took it over away off the trail and, and set it in the woods. And then it went on its way. Now, why am I telling these stories? Because in both of those situations, we had two creatures that were engaged in their uh, programming as a praying mantis and as a caterpillar. And then we had, well, once one creature and another time three other creatures that were a bit more higher up on the evolutionary scale that could look around and see what was going to possibly happen here and was able to do something to help remove the smaller creature uh, to a place where it's not going to get run over or squished immediately. Um, and I thought about that. I've thought about this many times. And it occurred to me that we're often like that in our lives, where we are somewhere. We think this is exactly where we need to be. Whatever's going on right now, this is it. This is where I want to stay, or I want to keep on my path. And every now and then, life circumstances occur that we don't like. What is that? And that's like when the human being sees the little creature and wants to help it out. Well, when universal intelligence decides, hey, you know, you have some work to do, you want to go in a certain way, you need to survive a bit. So I, I'm trying to pick you up and take you somewhere else where you can thrive and not die immediately. And what do we do? We act just like the, the praying mantis. What, what are you doing? Hey, put up your little hands, stay away from me, and you fight it or the uh, little caterpillar hunkers down, grabs on real tight, you're not moving me. And um, that's what we do. Whereas sometimes maybe there is a nurturing force, there is a grace, there is a power and aspect of the universe, which is much bigger than our little, our little human experience can, our little human conditioning can comprehend. And um, if we just go with it, yes, it may be that it's moving you in ways that are painful or that are scary. I mean, think about being a little caterpillar and all of a sudden being poked and prodded and lifted up higher in the air than you've ever been and carried further than you've ever been, quicker than you've ever gone uh, over in the woods, someplace radically different than you've just experienced. That's going to be maybe traumatic or scary. And as humans, we have those experiences too. Uh, but we have to remember that as long as we are able to stay in tune and trusting with uh, life while, while, while living intelligently, that's kind of an important point, while living intelligently, it is likely that just about every experience may be part of your spiritual path. Every experience may be a part of uh, spiritual growth. Every experience may be the support or the grace of the larger aspect of yourself um, taking you somewhere that you need to be or removing you from a situation that you don't need to be engaged with anymore. And that can be painful. Sometimes there are people in our lives that karma has exhausted itself. It's just time to move on. Or you're not really going to be doing much in their life other than suffering with them and they're going to pull you into it rather than them being able to respond and 
take action and use their executive abilities to do whatever it takes to remove themselves from difficult situations. So it can, it can be things like that. It can be, well, just about anything. So what I have seen in life, and while, of course, I don't want to admit it because little Ryan still has this personality that wants things the way he wants it. Um, when I look back through life, I'm even hesitant to say it. <laughs> as far as I can see, as far as I can see, many of the things, uh, everything, the good things, everything, the unpleasant things, somehow have contributed to a greater sense of inner well-being, inner faith, inner knowledge, and inner sense of grace. Uh, I don't know why it's hard to admit. I, I think primarily because, um, well, you know, just sort of the, the ideas that we're given as children can, can really stay deeply ingrained in our mind and our nervous system. So there might be some resistance to that. But when I really step back, yes, I can agree with what Mr. Davis said that just about everything that has occurred somehow seems to be, feels like evidence of grace, although it required that I accepted that grace. It required that I didn't remain petty, and it required that I aimed to let go of um, the small attachments of the personality and exaggerate and withdraw, exaggerate my consciousness, expand my consciousness to get a clearer vantage point on what's happening in life. So this is one of the important things that I have found over these few decades of practicing Kriya Yoga with everything that's happened. And uh, part of my hesitation is probably <laughs> because, um, you know, after, after, after you've lived a little while, you kind of want things to slow down a little bit. And uh, a little bit of superstition there says, well, as soon as I start admitting that uh, all of this was great, something's going to come out and smack me around again. <laughs> just so, just to really... Uh, prove that yes, are you still sure that there's grace involved? <laughs> so we have to keep keep in mind that our, our our personalities might color these things. And this is how my personality colors it. So you are all different. So you might not be able to relate to that. Um, but anyway, so we have to work with our personalities. Uh, another idea that that comes from this is. Uh, working, we, we touched upon this a little bit yesterday, but working, working hard internally. Um, the meditation that we did this morning, uh, I guided you to imagine, consider, at the end of the meditation, if you were in the presence of divinity. Now, I didn't specify any kind of divinity. I didn't have you think about anything in particular. 
but if you, based on how you perceive divinity, um, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What would the experience be? And I encourage you to really engage your imagination with that. The, the reason I did that was because many teachers and spiritual texts have discussed that, in a sense, all of this is, is considered to be the mind. Everything that we experience is, is the mind, the cosmic mind, the mind of God, the universal mind. And many teachers say that um, mind is responsive, like the greater cosmic mind is responsive to our small mind, to our states of consciousness, what we represent. I don't, again, talk about that too much because I don't want to engender any kind of magical thinking. That there's some kind of formula that will allow you to get whatever you want whenever you want it. But I've had enough experiences to illustrate that there seems to be something to that. And that people tend to experience and attract what their consciousness is like, what, what they, in a sense, resonate with. And without getting into fantasy, that's, that's a hard one to process. You have to kind of see the reality of it for yourself. And that requires that you are able to approach it without a sense of magical thinking. You're able to appreciate it and, and explore it with a sense of um, curiosity to see how might it work. And then also have the capacity to see well, how it doesn't work. Um, because some, some things happen and there's nothing that you can relate it to within your awareness or within uh, who you think you are, your state of consciousness. It seems random. It seems I don't understand that. So there are going to be times, situations, and circumstances where that's going to happen. And that's primarily because you are working through a, a limited form here. And your human brain can't process the entire reason the universe does what it does. Can process small bits and pieces of it though. And if we can begin to accept this, To a degree, we are able to uh, direct our attention such that life can tend to feel quite a bit more fulfilling. Of course, it still requires that adaptability that we talked about early on, that ability to move in a certain direction, but not to just lock on to something and keep doing that over and over again, hoping that's going to work. <clears throat> So how does this work? Well, number one, it helps to 
meditate well and have an organized life. That's going to be the basis and foundation for all of this. Because if you're able to meditate well and have an organized life, you are going to have a greater capacity to pull back, to pay attention to how things work, to make little adjustments, and then have the alertness and the awareness to see, all right, I made this adjustment and this is what happened or this isn't what happened. And then you pull back and you decide, well, do I want to keep doing that or do I want to tweak it a little bit more in a certain direction? By having an organized life, by meditating well, this does two things. Ideally, this negates or lessens serious, severe amounts of stress. And when you are not suffering from serious or severe amounts of stress, you will tend to be able to be more objective and clearer in regards to the activity that you engage yourself in. Why is it that the people you know who are always you know, forcing things or being upset about things or things just keep crumbling around them uh, or they're reactionary or they're angry all the time? Why is that the case? Because they've, they've got so much stress. And it might be not even stress that's going on right now. It's stress they haven't dealt with. You know, when you see people acting violent or acting confused or, or, or demonstrating criminal behavior or cruel behavior, you got to have an appreciation for they are probably locked in such a program of seeing the world that they don't know anything else. They don't know anything better. They don't know how to do anything because that stress has locked it in there. Um, but as a yogi, when we get to the point to where we are breaking free of that, um, the organized life allows you to feel a sense of safety. Meditating well allows you to feel a sense of calm and inner peace. And if you have an organized life and you meditate regularly and you're still stressed out and you're still locked in those patterns, once again, that means there's some work you need to do on a psychological, emotional level. And that will come from the professional. But let's say we're beyond that. Let's say that we're, we're mature adult human beings at this point in time. We're not acting out of um, reactions or traumas or um, past conditioning. So now what we can do is because of our organized life and our regular effective meditation practice, we can start in intending things. We can start imagining what would it be like to feel free and purposeful in life. Let's just start vague, completely vague. What would it be like to feel free and purposeful in life? Free and purposeful in life. Well, you have to start with that feeling and you have to be able to give yourself permission to feel it. Once you can give yourself permission to feel it and you are able to embody it, the sense of feeling purposeful, in life. Well, now you can ask, what would be something purposeful to do? And either an idea comes your way and you follow it, see where it leads you, or an opportunity comes your way and you wouldn't have planned for that opportunity. It might even be an opportunity that doesn't really jive or line up with exactly how you think your life should be, but it's an opportunity. 
And it, it comes about because you have started to embody a sense of purpose and, and feeling like you're in your right place in life. And of course, your human mind, your personality might fight it and say, well, that doesn't line up with exactly the way I thought it should be when I was 13 years old. Uh, and so you miss the opportunity. Or you can remain alive and engaged in life and say, all right, life wants to lead me this way. Let's explore it. Let's see what happens. I can think of countless times in my life where I've stopped and I thought to myself, how on earth did I get here? <laughs> uh, just certain things, uh, certain things would be going on. Not, not bad things, not Jesus is terrible. Well, sometimes, but more so I would look around and I would see the people I was surrounded with and the things we're talking about, we're not talking about. And I wonder how did I ever get here? When I can consider what I was aiming for when I was very, very young. Um, but you hold that and you begin to follow it, but you have to have the sense of trust and faith and stability in your life to feel comfortable being able to follow that. That's very vague, but that's a way to start. Also, we've talked quite a bit about the, the processes of truthfulness. The more truthful you are, the more engaged you are in satya and your own integrity, um, the easier it will be for you to recognize, okay, this is an opportunity that's presented before me. Is it a waste of time? You'll feel it. You're like, no, nah, that doesn't quite, no. Or is it, well, I don't, I couldn't imagine going this way, but yeah, I, I follow that. And you do, and you see where it leads you. So truthfulness plays a role in this as well. And we do this consistently every day until eventually when our meditation practice is so effective and we've learned how to kind of embody a certain state and then see what opportunities might arise to help lead you to that state. Um, eventually you can begin doing things like envisioning, imagining how do you, if, if you were in the presence of divinity, the divinity, the way that, the best way you can conceive of it, overwhelming love, spaciousness, radiant light, um, a, a, a being of light standing before you or anything that, that the way you would, if you were in a dream and you're like, oh, that's divinity, what would it look like? What would it feel like? What would it smell like? What would, what would you, how would your body be reacting in the meditation day? I even said, even if that would be fear or, oh my God, or, or being overwhelmed, let that be there. Just get into it. Uh, you can begin to, in your meditation, once you've calmed everything down, pull up this image or this state as though you are in the presence of divinity, clarity, peace, and you train yourself to hold yourself there as long as you can. And what this does is it will eventually give you the capacity to really have the direct experience of divinity through your imagination, which is like an, an access point or an icon, that's what the term icon is all about. When you worship an icon, you're not supposed to because you want, you want to go beyond it to the real thing. Too many people get like a little statue and treat that as though it's the, the real thing. But an icon is just like the icon on your computer where you want to send an email. So you click on the email icon. And once you click on the email icon, the email icon is just a little picture. That's it. But you tap on it. And what happens is it gives you access to the whole program. Now you can get right in there and type your emails. Well, in this same way, that icon 
of um, the icon of your um, your idea and feeling and sense of divinity, that's just an access point. So yeah, it's not going to be the real thing, but it, if you can get into it and use your imagination enough to pull yourself into what it would feel like to be in the presence of divinity and accept that, and that's going to be key there, you have to be able to accept that it's okay for you to be in that presence and know that that presence wants you to be there. So that also might require some conditioning you have to work out about appreciating yourself and um, allowing yourself to experience good things and so on, being receptive. Then you can use your meditation time however long you want to sit there and imagine that, feel that almost drench yourself in the experience. Many of you don't think I'm that devotional. Um, and outwardly, I'm not. I don't want to appear that way. And in that sense, I don't want to appear outwardly devotional in the way everyone else does. And most people, they're caught up in icon worship. They, they don't understand what real devotion is. Um, any kind of devotion, of course, can be helpful to calm the mind and the emotions. But real devotion is, is engaging yourself, doing that work, which will allow you to fully understand, feel, embody, experience um, divine consciousness. And that will never be, as far as I understand at this point in time in this era, that will never be something that needs to be dramatized externally. When I spend time in meditation and all I'm aware of is being in the presence of a radiant wall of light and the love and joy that just seems to emanate from that internally, um, that is not something I imagine or even want to dramatize in the world. How can you? <laughs> How can you? However, um, feeling that experience can permeate every action that I perform and that's something. And last night, um, we made hot sauce. We have a lot of hot peppers. I don't know why, but only the hot peppers seem to um, work this year. And we're <laughs> looking up the recipes for hot sauce. And it's saying, use 14 peppers. We're thinking, 14 peppers. We have, <laughs> we can probably make 10 batches of hot sauce or more. But we're there, spending an hour or two after work making hot sauce. And it was totally enjoyable. And it felt like an expression of the divine to me because I was there, I was present. Earlier in the day, we had meditated together. We had talked about these things together. I had worked on podcasts. I had meditated again on my own, doing some deep breathing, visualizing, bringing myself into the awareness, the presence of divinity. And so I knew that that was already permeating everything. So there was nothing else for me to do except to be in that moment making hot sauce. And I think it turned out to be pretty good hot sauce. <laughs> we'll see. It's supposed to sit for a while. But this is what we're doing. And tying in the idea of cosmic mind, universal mind. Well, all of these beings that you think of as enlightened, they did this kind of work. They fully immersed themselves in it. You might be able to recognize that in them because you are, you are however subtly attuned to that intention of experiencing the divine waking up. But the rest of the world, who could care less about those things, would see Mr. Davis and see him as a person who looks like a really tall farmer from Ohio, 
and that's all they would probably see in him. Or they would see Yogananda and think he was uh, a strange looking, um, overzealous uh, religious person from another culture. These are just things that people might see and they might not take him seriously at all. But does that even matter? Does it matter to him? Does it matter to God? No, because it's a personal experience. And by engaging universal mind, that doesn't mean that your universal minded attunement is going to, in a sweeping gesture, alter everything around you to align with what you know universal mind to be. People are still going to die. Crops are still going to not work. Um, illness is still going to come and go. Money will be there sometimes and not other times. Aches and pains will come and go. Um, there will be times when you're on vacation and everything seems beautiful and times when you just have to buckle down and work hard. Some people are going to be jerks. Some people are going to be a little more enlightened. The, the, the consciousness of, of the world will do what it's going to do because each one of us has a, each one of us has an experience to be had and you aren't to interfere with that. You can't interfere with it really. You can wish others well and see them in light and see them in clarity, but you can't make choices for them, nor can you through the power of your meditative mind, uh, change your enemy political rivals to uh, understand what you understand. You can't do it. And this is all personal inner work. What you can do is begin to access you know, <clears throat> universal mind, cosmic mind, and develop your inner, your inner um, experience your spiritual life. That's why they call it the, the inner life or the interior life. Then wherever you go, whatever anyone's doing, you see the light of divinity in them. You see the light of divinity in them. Their actions and activities, well, that's what they're doing. Wherever you are, wherever you're situated, whatever's happening, it could be anything really that's going on around you. But internally, you are aware of that sense of presence. You are aware of that sense of <clears throat> attunement to a greater cosmic mind. And in that way, you also begin to grow into and understand and feel. You begin to have a, greater, a larger viewpoint. And so when you're locked away in a hospital bed, um, you don't feel like you're locked away in a hospital bed. You feel free. You know that just the body and this personality and the people that are meant to be around you to go through this experience with you, but that experience is like an exhausting of karmas or an exhausting of your own past confusion, possibly. And that's what we have to remember as well. When I talked earlier about how sometimes things are going to happen, that whether you are always in a state of clarity and peace and you wonder, well, how did this come into my life? Because obviously that's bad. Well, there are different levels of experience and Let's just consider for a moment that you are a being, a consciousness that's been around for a long time, which means that you have 
countless intentions that you have, you have sent out. I want to experience this. I want to experience that. Let's just say you've got a thousand lives of, oh, wait, let's experience this. Let's experience that. Well, that means you're like this ball of consciousness that's going in all these different directions. I, I imagine like a blob and each intention is pulling you in a direction. And some of those intentions go in the same direction to a degree. And so you go that direction a little bit more easily. Um, and some people, they've got so many different intentions that they never go anywhere because one's pulling this way, the other's pulling the opposite way. It's like they're getting pulled in all these different directions. And this is why all spiritual teachers tell you to be extremely intentional about your life. Be aware of all the things you think you need to experience. And I really wish that more people had this kind of training when they were younger because we're told from the beginning, you can experience anything. You can experience anything you want. Well, many people are. We, we have this, this, this fantasy about that. And then we start just randomly thinking all kinds of things. Well, I could go here. I could do that. Blah, blah, blah. Maybe this. And so you never get anywhere. Um, but if, if you've ever noticed people who tend to achieve their goals, all of their intentions tend to point in one particular direction. So it's got that energy, that momentum going in that one particular direction. And they tend to have success. Why? Because they choose their intentions and they make sacrifices. Remember, sacrifice is talked about often in spiritual literature. And it's not just grabbing some cow dung and throwing it in fire with some incense and ghee. That's a type of sacrifice, but that's symbolic. The sacrifices that are true on the spiritual path are the sacrifices to let go of those things which are keeping you stuck in place because they're like powers or a momentum that's going counter to moving you in the direction you want to go in. So right when we start on this path, we don't know how many different intentions we've got going on. There are certain things in life which just come to us easily and naturally. We'll know that, that probably we're probably able to easily go in that direction because over those countless thousands of lives, we have put enough momentum in that direction that it just seems to roll easily. Um, and this is how people's lives typically work. And once we step on the spiritual path, what is required is number one, we get very clear on our intentions because this is going to start to play into what is cosmic universal mind going to give you. Um, and you begin saying, all right, get my life in order. What does that mean? I'm not going to go into that because you know I've, I've talked about that enough. Um, but you need to have everything set up so that now you can say, all right, I'm stable. I can take care of myself. I'm autonomous. Or I'm in a situation where things are, are stable enough that it's all right. Now I want to wake up. So then you start thinking about all the stuff you think you wanted to do. I wanted to be a ballerina. I wanted to be a rock climber. I wanted to start this business. I want to do that. And you, you cut it out. Snip it off. Cut those little momentum drags off. Say, nope, what I want to do is be awake. And so you start reading the sutras. You start recognizing meditation. You start um, seeing that, learning to embody and experience and feel that you are in the wholeness of life. That's going to start carrying you in that direction. Spending time doing that instead of watching the TV, trying to be a ballerina. Um, you get the idea then you are able to move forward in that direction. And yes, there may be a thousand lifetimes pulling you, but what matters is 
the intentions that you are doing now because all the momentum from those past lifetimes, they will lose their momentum if you quit putting momentum out there. You know, if, if you're driving straight ahead and you begin to turn to the left, well, you've still got momentum going straight ahead, but now you're going to the left. And eventually, if you stick with it long enough, you're not going to be going straight in that direction anymore. You're eventually going to be going to the left. So the, that's why what you are doing right now is so important. What you are doing right now is so important. And, and pruning and managing your intentions and your directions, that is also very important. <clears throat> and you, everyone has a different amount of work to do in that regard. Some people are just innately more confused than others, but that, that's no big deal. As long as you recognize it and you start honing in your intention, going in one direction, or we'll just say two that's kind of in the same direction, that's okay. Letting go, making the sacrifices, letting go of all this other BS that's not going to carry you there. Then your life becomes purposeful and meaningful, and then you are more easily able to feel like you are in harmony with universal cosmic mind. And then when things come your way that seem like speed bumps or derailments, you just get up and you keep moving forward because you recognize that those speed bumps, those derailments might just be the result of some intention that you can barely remember because it happened 686 lifetimes ago. And I have found this to be true in my life. You've heard me say this before. As far as I'm concerned in this lifetime, uh, there is one mundane experience that I want to have, one. Um, the rest of them, I've all had, I've, all, I've experienced it. I don't have any craving to go in any other directions. So the one mundane experience. So what do I do? I spend most of my time uh, doing my work and doing my duty and following my spiritual practice and, and spiritual drive because that is ultimate, that is fundamental. This one experience I want to have, if it would ever get in the way of what I'm doing with um, this work, spiritually speaking, I would do my best to get rid of it and cut it out because the spiritual path is the most important one for me at this point in time. And it has been. Um, but you see, since I have one thing that I want to experience, that makes it very easy to plan my life. It makes it very easy to know what I'm doing every day. It makes it very easy to stay in harmony with cosmic universal mind because I've got two things to do. Number one, um, fulfill my role as a meditation teacher, meditate deeply, wake up as much as I can. At those other times when I'm not doing that and things are processing, I can focus on my other uh, agenda, mundane agenda. And it is okay for each of us to have one or two things mundanely that we want to put our attention towards, but we have to give our full commitment to it. We have to treat it as though it itself is spiritual practice because that helps to keep us aligned and harmonious because we know what we're doing and why we're doing it. So even the mundane things that we want to accomplish in this world, if we can just pick one or two and focus on that and keep our attention and alignment engaged in that, that can also be like a kind of spiritual practice because it's going to use the same principles as having success in your spiritual practice. So the, the yogic life needs to be 
well-organized, thought out, intentional. Um, even when it comes to things like health or success, I remember reading a, uh, I think it was an affirmations book by Yogananda. Pretty sure it was in this book. It's been a long time since I've, I've seen this book. Um, but when he talked about health, when you see a vision of yourself being healthy, you hold that vision and you take any opportunity that you can to support that vision. It may be in this lifetime that you don't succeed in having a healthy body. It's possible. But if you can have the vision of being healthy, then that means in this lifetime, you just create a profound momentum that in the next time around, you're going to more likely begin with a healthier body. Or if you're focused on health and you're focused on real health, complete health, being fully healed, you won't even be concerned about the body. You will maintain a sense of well-being and connection to the wholeness of life such that whether your body is healthy or not healthy, you are healthy. <laughs> You are clear, you are serene, you are whole, you know what is going on. <clears throat> so there are multiple levels of this. And if we can get, if we can start to contemplate this and experiment with it and see how it works for us, uh, we will tend to, well, recognize that there is grace. And oftentimes that grace is just getting ourself in harmony and making the sacrifices that we need to, to reveal that grace, to reveal that grace. And yes, there may be sometimes when we have such a strong connection to the infinite mind or God's mind or the cosmic mind, and then something comes along and just, just moves us in a way that is extremely scary and disorienting in the same way that that little caterpillar was picked up by three human beings way up on the evolutionary scale. Who is the caterpillar is scared, doesn't know what's going on, but the human beings know what's going on and they're picking it up. And now the caterpillar is way up in the air and getting carried really far away, really fast and set down gently in the grass. I'm sure the caterpillar might say, where did the pavement go? Where, what about all this hard work I've been doing to, to get halfway across the pavement? All of that's for nothing. Or if we have an enlightened caterpillar, it's saying, well, maybe there are some beings or powers or my universal mind and consciousness, which is graceful and supportive of me. Maybe it picked me up and set me over here for a reason. And now I need to look around and see where I am and adjust. And maybe I'm way beyond the pavement. Maybe I'm way further past the direction I wanted to go. And maybe I avoided getting stepped on. That would be a yogic caterpillar <laughs> who's doing his best and being receptive and open to grace while cooperating with um, universal mind. Consider this and spend some time reviewing this. Listen to it again and again if you need to, because this is something that it takes consistent practice and sometimes it works really well and you believe it. And other times it feels like, oh, geez, are you sure this works? And doubt comes in. Well, I assure you it works. And when doubt comes in, that is a prime time to really try harder and get more deeply into it. Um, because that will start to break the habit of doubt. That will break the habit of doubt. 
And that is also necessary. I mean, you can even you can even play around with it in very simple ways. And this is not to give you any kind of magical abilities or magical powers. This is just to um, introduce you to how these things can kind of work. For example, uh, one of the things that I learned to do a long time ago was wonder, what would it be like if this happened? And obviously, if I've mentioned that most of everything I've wanted to experience in this human life I have, I attribute it to this capacity. Um, but on a very simple level, I found that it's, it's practically useful. Uh, I used to always misplace my keys or my wallet. And I'd, I'd have this feeling, oh my goodness, where'd my wallet go? I lost my wallet. All oh, my credit cards are in there. My driver's license in there. I'd be overwhelmed with this sense of worry. And then days would go by and I couldn't find my wallet. Um, but then what I decided to do after I became aware of this was I decided to change. I said, you know what? I know exactly where my wallet is. And I would bring up the feeling of when you've lost something for a while and you, you find it, oh my goodness, yes, there it is. I found my wallet. Phew. Credit cards are safe. No one stole it. My driver's license is in there. I don't have to go through the new process of getting a driver's license. This wallet that was given to me um, by a very special person, I still have it. I would bring up that sense of, yeah, I found it. It feels so good to have this in my hands again. And so I would, when I knew my wallet was missing or anything, not just my wallet, I would start to bring that up. I know exactly where it is. I remember exactly where I put it. Yeah, here it is. I've got it. I would, I would feel that internally. And I kid you not, it's gotten to the point that within 20 to 30 seconds of me starting to do that, my, my eye goes exactly to the point to where the thing that I've lost has gone. Or an intuition comes, uh, go check your car in the side panel or go out in the garage and, and, and see if you put it there. So what I found is by doing this, by getting that sense of, yeah, I know exactly where it is. And I mean, really feeling it. So you have to remember that time when you found the thing that was lost. In my mind, this is one way to engender connections to universal mind. And that's very simple and that's very mundane. And that's very benign. But I've also found that it applies to um, understanding things or having certain kinds of experiences. Uh, if I'm reading spiritual literature and I come to a passage that I don't quite get. I don't sit there and go, oh, I must be stupid. I don't get this. And then I pass by it. I stop and I read it. And I hold the confusion for a moment. And I say, all right, well, what would it be like if I did understand this? Ah, I got it. The aha moment is here. And I, I bring up that sense mainly in my heart of, phew, yeah, I get this. And I read it a few more times. And I might set it down. And then tomorrow when I pick it up, or a few months later, all of a sudden it clicks, something pops into my awareness. That's exactly what this spiritual literature was talking about, what this teacher was saying, and I get it. And that became much more rapid. It happened much more rapidly as I began to employ this kind of sense of feeling connected to the wholeness of life and resonating, that's the best term I can come up with, resonating in such a way that relates to success in that endeavor. So you can do it that way. It's also very important in your, this is where it's most important. This is why I'm telling you this, not so that you can find things that you've lost, although that's helpful, um, but so that in meditation, you can contemplate 
you know, I don't know what it would be like to be peaceful and, and serene and, and awake and clear. And that's what most people dwell upon. And so they stay there because that's what they're dwelling upon. You can, you can just start pretending, wow, so this is what it's like to feel communion with God. This is what it's like to be perfectly awake and clear. This is great. I'm, I feel it now. This is, yes, finally, it's here. And, and you, you have to move into that state of, yeah. And you can always work, try to remember things in your own life where that final moment happened and success happened. You go, yeah. You've got to have that same kind of feeling ahead of, ahead of it. And if you maintain it long enough, what I have found is that eventually, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, it does happen. But you have to be very watchful and vigilant. And anytime you start to doubt or have that sense of, well, who do I think I am? You know, I'm just a stupid little person. The moment you start to have that, you got to stop because Remember we talked about the momentum going in different directions? Well, you can have one momentum going this way saying, yeah, I get that. Finally, I understand. But underneath, you can have another momentum pulling in the opposite direction saying, I'm just a stupid human. Who do I think I am? And so they don't let you go anywhere because they're pulling in opposite directions. So you have to begin to grow into the ability to, yeah, okay, this is possible. And be adaptable. Remember, you have to be adaptable too. You have to be adaptable because things might come your way that reveal something to you that you can't quite get because it's not within your conditioning. But you have to be adaptable to step back and say, all right, how does this fit? And allow it, allow it in, you know, allow the possibility of a new opportunity or something you couldn't even conceive of um, as arising within your consciousness. So this is how you can approach this. And again, the reason I'm telling you this is not so that you can be all magical. I mean, I used to use this when I would go fishing. <laughs> I haven't done it so much, but I remember um, fishing with one of my friends down in Asheville. And I would start saying, I would have this feeling that that fish, that bass struck. And then I was reeling it in. I was like, yeah, this is great. This is a big one. And I would do that. I would hold that. And I kid you not. Within five minutes of me doing that, oftentimes, not all the time, not all the time, but oftentimes it would just be one fish after the other. But those times where I thought it's too cold, I'm not very good, you know, my wrist hurts, I don't want to crank it anymore, I wouldn't catch any fish. So in a way, uh, I have played around with it mundanely like that, but that's not, <laughs> that's not what I'm encouraging. I'm encouraging you to use it in your spiritual practice. That is the only real reason to do it in your spiritual practice to imagine, feel, believe. But then also, yes, in your mundane life, choose one thing you want to accomplish. One thing that if you made it to the end of this life, you'd look back and say, yeah, I did it. I did what I meant. I, I did what I did. What I, I fulfilled my heart's desire in this life while it, attending to my spiritual practices. And if you only have one or two of those, it's not going to be counterproductive to your spiritual work. It becomes counterproductive to your spiritual work when you're following every single desire that pops up or every bit of conditioning that's fed to you through social media or entertainment or your family or other people. You have to find that one thing or two things that for you, if you would accomplish that or even die trying, 
that you would look back and say, yeah, I did it. I'm done. I can move on. No problem. Or you can say, you know what? I didn't get there, but hey, I know I did my best and that's all I can do. And then you're able to be free. So ideally use this for your spiritual practice, but you can use it in your life to help you fulfill that heart's desire that is related to your unique expression of this individualized facet of divinity, of the wholeness of life. Because you've got a personality, you've got a mind, you've got a body that's different than everyone else's for a reason. And that is to fulfill one or two of these heart's desires so that you can say, yes, I did it and let go and move on beyond this human life while simultaneously attuning to your spiritual duties. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.